Hi, welcome to Bell Hooks and Jars on Radio Fodder with Sam and Danushi. Bell Hooks and Jars is your one-stop shop for some gender and gossip. And Sam, what are we talking about this week? This week, Danushi is going to take the lead and... Mm. Don't act like you're surprised. <laughs> this and is pre-planned. Yeah. Yeah. And Danushi's going to tell me all about hysteria and women and mental illness and generally gender and mental illness. Exactly. And we're going to ask the big question, is BPD just hysteria for the modern day? Ooh. That is a big can of worms. That's a big one. And that, we're going to open it. That's a spicy meatball. <laughs> that's a spicy, <laughs> spicy meatball. So that's very exciting. Danushi, how's your week been? My week? So I have quit my last job and I'm starting a new job at the University of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, yeah. <laughs> I'm running the university's pockets to the ground. You are in charge of the uni now. Your vice chancellor. <laughs> we both are. Sam just stole a fork from the university, so we. I both didn't steal it. I pay my that's my true. my student amenities and services fee. That's so. And true. I'm going to give it back at the end of semester or when I graduate. Exactly. Which who knows when that'll be. Exactly. Also, mm, the idea of stealing. Stealing is a social construct. Yes, and also. Um, predicates that there must be someone that is the owner and if there's shared like forks to be shared the people's forks the people's this is the union if they're communist fork it was our communist forks can't be stolen Mm. yeah so i'm gonna give it back that's what what we don't have to that's the thing yeah i've paid so many fees to this university (sighs) too much not enough (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, according to them. I Yeah, and according to me who just keeps... And according to you! Exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get back to what you, your week's been like. So just a lot of preparing to start a new job and... Do you feel comfortable saying where your job is? Uh, no, that's okay. We can. I want to have an air of mystery for our global... <laughs> congregation of listeners you're like Zane you're the mysterious one mm. I only and also hand. the ethnic one it's <laughs> 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 so true don't you just like leave me here hanging you're definitely a bit of a Harry or yeah. maybe not sexy definitely Ugh. queer yeah um obsessed with Gucci Mm. Yeah. There we go. I love a floral. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so how, how's your week been? My week's been interesting. Um, just, you know, endo once again, fighting for my life um, and started new psych medication, getting onto Wellbutrin. And that's exciting. But yeah. it, what's not exciting is how expensive it is. Oh. It's. $60 a month from Chemist Warehouse. No, stop. I'm, I'm not, not from, not, not from going from Sexy Lexi, which is about $6, $6 a, a pop. M- yeah. Wow. $60 and 69 cents. Nice. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we, me and also all our listeners wish you the best of luck with the adjustment, with the adjustment period. Thank you. It's been a bit shit because I've been like, Going through Lexapro withdrawals, which is famously awful. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, that's life. Um, That is life. But I think this is a a sign of an upward trajectory for both of us. I hope so. Yeah. Well, you know, (laughs) I've been saying since 2019, like, I'm at rock bottom. How much worse can it get? And And it's it's gotten worse. (laughs) There's several basements. Yeah. It's like a – it's like in – it's like in um, Hunger Games, like the last two, where they're in that oh, District 13, like, bunker yeah. that's, like, underground. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, rock bottom for me. it keeps going. It keeps, keeps going. Yeah. And the capital keeps thinking, oh, there's none of them left. No, there is. They're still there. Yeah. Well. This is an extended Hunger Games metaphor <laughs> <laughs> about my mental health. 
Um, yeah. So before we kick off the rest of the t- today, it's time for a song. Mm-hmm. We're going to be listening to now This Is What Makes Us Girls by Lana Del Rey. You're listening to Bell Hooks and Jars on Radio Fodder. Welcome back to Bell Hooks and Jars on Radio Fodder. You're with Sam and Danushi. Danushi, how are you feeling today? Mm, I'm feeling quite hysterical. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, by hysterical. That's so funny because it's very yeah. to do with what we're talking about. Yeah. And by hysterical, I mean, as taken from the Wikipedia page, a colloquialism for my ungovernable emotional excess that can refer to a temporary state of mind or emotion. Become ungovernable. Exactly. Become hysterical. Yeah. So if we start with the etymology, hysteria actually comes from the Greek word for uterus, hystera. Yeah, just like hysterectomy. I really stumbled that one. Exactly. Yeah, like whipping whipping it out. That's a hysterectomy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so already we see a really big tie between hysteria, women's physiology, and mental mental illness. And I was also going to say governance. Why? Why did they... Why is it called hysteria? Like, why is it named of the uterus? Great question, Bestie. Thank you. And I think it comes from the idea that the very first iteration of hysteria from ancient Egypt, from the Cajun Gynecological Papyrus... Mm. Describe this idea of the wandering womb. Exactly. The wandering womb where like there was this idea that the uterus would move and bump into all the other organs. And that's what kind of led to this symptomology of people acting out and having Hmm. things like fits, emotional disturbances. What else? What are some of the other symptoms? Being upset. Exactly. <laughs> Needing to lie down. Yeah. <laughs> Something I know well. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. Seizures. Yeah. Yeah. Fits, seizures. Exactly. So all, so hysteria, it was and continued to be for a long time, a catch all kind of disease for anything to do with women. So, so was it basically just like, oh... There's something wrong with her. Her womb's probably wandering around. Wandering around, around, hitting your other organs. That's so funny because as an endometriosis endurer, it's kind of like the opposite. Like you go to the doctors, you know, for 10 years and they're all like, oh, you're probably just anxious. No, it's your endometrium or Mm. things that look like the endometrium bumping into your other organs. Right. Yeah. That is very interesting. We've almost done a full it's like a 180, 180 in yeah. in quotation marks women's yeah. health. Yeah. That's a, that's that's a So we've done a whole 180 but still never gotten to the right answer. <laughs> no. No, no, no. It's like they they're like walking around the answer. Yeah, exactly. They did a whole circle around but they're still like it's like yeah, they're walk it's like they've got a treasure map. Mm. And they're walking in circles and they still can't get to that X. Exactly. Yeah. So we've just talk of, talked about the Egyptians. Yeah. Walk like an Egyptian. Oh, great song. What's next? By the Bengals. Yeah. Now let's move on to the Greeks who borrowed a lot of what the Egyptians had to t- say about hysteria being about the womb and yeah. about the female anatomy, but mm. also added in more social ideas Ancient Greeks, famously <laughs> quite sexist. Yeah. There's a really great documentary, I think, by Mary Beard about that. She's a, she's a classicist. She's mm-hmm. got, she's, I think she's at Cambridge. She's a professor. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a really good documentary about women in ancient Greece. And, yeah. like, when they were buried, they weren't even given, like, their own names on their gravestones. They just had, like, an archetypal carving of, like, a woman doing housework. Right. <laughs> I want that on my team. Love that for us. (laughs) Yeah. So they kept this idea of it being about the room, but then added in things like you had hysteria if you couldn't have children or if you didn't marry. And Plato famously still stuck in the cave. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Linked hysteria to having a dormant sex life. 
and okay. So there was this idea that the womb was was longing to create children. So you're just not fucking enough. Exactly. Again, f- from just those two examples, we can see how this idea of a diagnosis was it was shaped was entirely shaped by what it meant to be a good woman and then also continued to shape what a good woman was so it was like it was definitely a governing force like you can't there's no way around that Mm. and it it almost seems as though it kept it kept changing with the context so it's like we've got the idea of what a good woman is and she's like subservient and quiet and behaving and if you in any way aren't following that It must be hysteria. Yeah. So what happens after the Greeks? And then we fast forward a little bit to the Middle Ages. Okay. So famously in the Middle Ages, there was this idea that a woman is a failed man. And then from that, a failed woman was hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I know a bit about uh, early modern Europe. Let's go. Yeah. So I did a subject called witch hunting in early modern Europe Mm. and I had to read some whack treatises like uh, Kramer's um, Malleus Maleficarum which Mm. means the hammer of the witches um, which basically is talking about how women are like failed men and therefore women are more uh, susceptible to the devil. Demon time. (laughs) Demon time. Yeah. Yeah. They're more susceptible to the devil using his wicked ways and the way you would become a witch would was you would go to a sabbat which is sabbat uh which comes from sabbath it's anti-semitism hours yeah and you would get down and dirty with either literally the devil Mm. or the devil in another form maybe a goat Mm, yeah maybe a man yeah maybe (laughs) another woman the devil in another form is a man yeah or a goat yeah (laughs) you have sex with a goat yeah um have sex with a horse Mm mm-hmm yeah, so, you know, lots of options yeah. for you, but it doesn't involve going into the forest, getting some debauchery in the works. Yeah. And women are more susceptible to that because they're weaker and, they, yeah. and mm-hmm. their minds are just not as developed. Exactly. Smaller brain. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's interesting here is that the cure for hysteria in the Middle Ages was, again, prayer, exorcisms. So I think there's an important relationship between okay so if we can detail a sickness then we can also detail a cure or mm. like so in a way if we want to disseminate something mm. into the public i.e christianity mm. we can pathologize people mm. it's who very aren't yeah. christian and then yeah. Again, sorry, this isn't about religion itself. But it was a very complicated period and instead of like treating the hysteria, they, they liked to just um burn people at the stake instead. Mm. Yeah. Instead of like... Big mistake. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They liked to just like be like, well, the devil's in you and there's nothing we can do about that. Um, so death, that's the only option really. Yeah. Sorry about it. <laughs> That's where that's like an important takeaway. This idea, the the relationship between a disease and then the cure. Mm. Mm. So so far, all of hysteria has been related to a, the female physiology. Mm. But during the sixteenth and seventeenth century, so a lot after the, the middle, Enlightenment, the Enlightenment exactly. So more um, empiricism, science, but. For men. For men, exactly. There was a shift in hysteria moving from physiology to psychology. Mm. And one of the most notable figures in that movement was, I'm going to need you to say this name. Jean-Martin Chacot. Yes. So he was a French neurologist and he in his work, really tried to tackle what he referred to as the great neuroses. Wow. Or, or female hysteria. Something I'm familiar with. Great <laughs> neuroses. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So what did Charcot theorise? Yeah, so he believed that hysteria came from impaired 
areas of the brain. So he believed that it was still hereditary. Okay. But he believed that things in your environment could still trigger the hysteria. Mm. And so he would go about treating those people with things like hypnosis. And so his most famous patient was Marie Blanche Whit- Whit- Whitman. Was she known as the queen of hysteria? Yeah. So yeah, icon. So she, she was around in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And so she was a French woman and she is famous, like the most famous hysteric. <laughs> Sam and I are close seconds. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, and so, so she was diagnosed with hysteria. hysteria. Okay. Um, but it's interesting because... <laughs> Five of Whitman's eight siblings died of epilepsy or seizures. Mm. And what were her symptoms mm. for her hysteria? Was she having seizures as well? She was having just epileptic fits and just like yeah. her arms would and like her fall, her arms would rise and things We were saying like, like her left arm would go numb? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. she would... It was basically, if I was... I'm not a doctor. Um, I don't, you know, I don't say I'm a doctor yeah. I'm not a doctor um but personally looking at that I would probably say it's probably epilepsy yeah and if I was a doctor I'd probably prescribe her I'd put her on the pill and <laughs> SSRIs yeah that's the two things um, but what was interesting was after Charcot 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 yeah Charcot's death her um attack stopped oh that's extra interesting yeah that's 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 almost getting into like fictitious disorder territory yeah. by so proxy. Exactly. Yeah. But she claimed so exactly. So a lot of people are like, okay, well, if he's gone and now you don't have it anymore, it must have been all in your head. Um, but she responded by saying Charcot would have known if it was fake. Okay. And um I do think the evidence is on her side. The fact yeah. that um, you know, literally a majority of her siblings died mm. from epilepsy. That's probably saying something. And it's interesting that it's easy to read her her um, fit stopping after Charcot's death as her being fictitious, but the other reading is... No, no, I... I sh- oh, no. malpractice? No, no, I was thinking, like, um, a fictitious disorder is the... A fictitious disorder by proxy is the new term for Munchausen's. I don't know what that is. Oh, really? Uh, Munchausen's by, pro- by proxy is when a carer makes oh. their um, the person they're caring for sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, it's now called fictitious disorder by proxy. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah that would make sense. Yeah, because, like, <laughs> if he's – if they go away after sh- after he dies, like, yeah. that feels like – Yeah. Jean-Martin. Yeah. What are you doing? What are you up to, yeah. cheeky boy? What, speaking of what he was up to – she, so um, Whitman mm. was paraded around a bit like a, a bit like a freak show, and people oh, that's would, so mean. yeah. So people would come and come to see what the scope of human emotion. <laughs> <laughs> they should come see me. Uh, they <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if they want to see the scope of human emotion. Like. So like. I hope she got paid for this. I doubt it. I really doubt it. (laughs) Yeah. So he, even though the shift from physiology to psychology was important, Mm. I do still think Jean-Michel, no. Jean-Martin. Yes. (laughs) I knew she's not a French enjoyer. No. And rightly enough. Yeah. And so I think like we can accept that whilst he represented a important shift, Mm in hysteria it's like he's still not quite there he in a way made Whitman hysterical yeah I I can imagine that um if my psychiatrist who does not do any medical malpractice um and he's a sick cunt I'd say if he started like bringing people in and being like look how crazy Sam is I might get a bit more stressed from that yeah like I think that might be a bit of a that might actually worsen my condition a bit, yeah. <laughs> I imagine. Well, now that we've covered all that, shall we throw to another song? Yeah, let's do it. This is Hot and Cold by Katy Perry. You're listening to Bell Hooks and Jars on Radio Fodder with Sam and Danucci. 
Welcome back to Radio Fodder. You're listening to Bell Hooks and Jars with Sam and Danushi. That was Hot and Cold by Katy Perry. Before we went to the song, we were talking about hysteria and we were talking about up to Jean-Martin Charcot, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and talking about... Yeah, so if we think about Charcot, France, 17th, 18th century, we were still had this idea that it was handed down, which still Mm. kept it exclusively in women. Mm. That's a thing. We've moved from... Where's the hysterical men? Exactly. So we've moved from the biology or the physiology to the brain, Mm. but in still considering it to be handed down, we've Mm. kept it exclusively in women. Mm. But this is where we come to another important shift Mm. from... We have a sh- we had another shift mm-hmm. from nature to nurture, mm. and that was due to the one and only Sigmund Freud. Yeah, Sigmund, who was famously Charcot's student. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. And so he, so Freud, mm. borrowed this idea of um, a trigger, which Charcot also had, uh, also detailed. So you would. Your hysteria, you would... You'd uh, have, like, the predisposition. Yeah, you would have the predisposition, but things in your life would Mm. trigger hysteric moments. Relatable. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Charcot got got his hands on my diary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got my psych notes from my psychiatrist. And so so Freud borrowed that idea of there being triggers, Mm. but instead of the source of those triggers being your genes, he... He considered that your hysteria could be rooted in traumatic experiences from very early childhood. Interesting. So this shift in nurture taking precedence over nature as a source Mm. of hysteria had some really important implications because now it couldn't just be in women, even Mm. though like Freud didn't necessarily argue that it was an every person's disease. It still made the woman aspect not a necessary component of hysteria and at the same time made hysteria a social disease, Mm. which I think is an extremely important shift. Did you Mm. want to do your spiel about Freud by now? Yeah, well, I think something, I think Freud gets a really bad rap with people who've not read any Freud. Mm -hmm. Um, Firstly, like everybody only connects Freud to the Oedipus complex. And firstly, that's not saying, like a lot of what Freud was talking about wasn't condoning, wasn't saying like, this is how humans should be, but it was describing the Victorian era patriarchal society that they were living in and saying this is what things look like the the oedipus complex is less about wanting to fuck your mom and more about wanting to wanting to assume the role of the father which is like a developmental stage that you know boys sort of have to go through like who their father is yeah how do i relate to that how do i become that image of an of an adult man and that's also that serves an important function in the continuity of a certain type yeah. of society, right? So, in all Sam's trying to say is justice for Freud. Yeah, and also like there's this idea that Freud was really sexist and homophobic, and I think that's patently untrue, especially mm. the homophobia. Like there is a letter written to Freud of a British woman. I'll find these and link them in the show notes, saying um, that oh, my son's gay, treat him, get the gay out of him. And Freud says, sorry, that's not something I can treat because that's not a disease. Freud basically said, you can't pray the gay away. Exactly. And you can't therapy the gay away. Mm. Freud is anti-conversion therapy. And Freud himself and his best friend Heinrich, they Mm -hmm. got a bit mm, homoerotic. Mm. A bit more than homoerotic. Like, they were, yeah. yeah, Just erotic. Just Just erotic. Just homo. (laughs) Full homo. They weren't saying no homo at all. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and also like the sexism thing, like that's thrown around a lot uh, and it's pretty unfounded. People who haven't read any Freud love to just be like, oh, but isn't he sexist? And it's like, where? And they also love to say Freud's been debunked. And I'm like, which bit? He wrote so much stuff. Like what has been debunked? 
So essentially where we left off from the Freud and hysteria was there was this traumatic event in infancy slash childhood that was then um, that is then then triggered mm. by social triggers later in life leading to hysterical outbursts. I think, I think one of the interesting things with Freud to remember though is that like um, part of the idea is that um, everybody has trauma in psychoanalytic theory because trauma does, doesn't just come from really bad things happening mm. but it also comes from stuff like you know realizing that your parents have sex mm. that's traumatic as a young person yeah okay so yeah since we're there mm. there was um there's some there's a few criteria for what freud considered to be that true event of causation mm. as opposed to all of these other memories of trauma that we may have and then what he considered to scream the true moment of conception mm. um and so he said that hang on i'm gonna sneeze bless you <laughs> oh cute so i'm gonna keep that in yeah <laughs> yeah keep that in yeah because we need to remind the audience that our bodily functions are so normal yeah and as we were talking about with the middle ages sneezing is getting the demons out yeah, mm. let's that's get the demons out. Yeah. Anyways, oh, that's really interesting because mm. sneezing and does serve and a say bless you. Yeah, and then sneezing serves a immunological purpose. So yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Back to Freud. Mm. So, as in trauma is should be essentially kind of defined by what the person, what mm. what the in quotation marks victim considers to be traumatic. Yeah. yeah. And so Freud, you know, while, when he was talking to and, um, what's the word, experimenting on his patients, he, he found it hard to pick apart the webs of memories. Mm. And um, he said he has this thing about a dermatologist can like easily tell what the problem is yeah. or like can look at a pustule and be like, mm. well, this is the disease that you have. Whereas for psychology, that's a bit harder because... Quite a bit. Yeah, <laughs> because people only reveal what they know and e people reveal what they want to reveal. Mm. And what they feel ready to reveal. Exactly. And, what, and even just what they know. The more superficial layers he referred to as screen memories. Mm. So they can be memories of the memories themselves or memories relating to the traumatic experience but weren't the initial traumatic experience and so um so he made a few characterizations that allowed us mm. um to discriminate between what is the initial source of trauma and mm. what are the later screen memories right and so what he said was that the first source of trauma must be suitable. Mm. And so in other words, the, the source needs to fit whatever symptoms you're having. So if you as a hysterical woman mm. are um, vomiting hysterically, then Freud considers that the root cause of something like that would be discussed. Mm. And so he considered so that main takeaway from that is the root cause needs to be suitable for whatever hysteria you're experiencing later yeah. on and he also similarly 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 i literally can't say that word today he also considered that the traumatic force of the initial event needs to be big enough and strong enough right. to cause um the later latter hysterical events but mm. I think that doesn't like you said necessarily mean that it needs to be really extremely traumatic yeah well and it, like what is it like just extremely like it, it depends on the situation and how you respond yeah and so I think for like my reading of that idea of traumatic force is like um subject oriented yeah and like so. the the severity of the perceived exactly. trauma of it exactly like 
like I think that's very natural that like if something is if if the patient perceive, perceives something to be very traumatic then they will have very traumatic mm-hmm. like experiences of the symptoms of it yeah so if we go back to this idea of a woman hysterically vom- vomiting later mm. in life Freud considers that maybe something like just eating a rotten piece of fruit probably did not have the traumatic force to later in life induce such hysteria. Yeah. But I would say my counter argument is if that person perceived that piece of fruit to be just the worst thing, Mm. the most um, invasive experience that the child had had, well, then maybe it would be. But again, it's about... Yeah, and I'm sure it also, like, is, like, what at what point in your life that happened, yeah, it's what stage of development you were at. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So today, where are we? Today. Yeah. With hysteria. Uh, well, today I think the idea of hysteria is no longer in the DSM. But there is BPD and there is also... HPD? H- yeah. Yeah. What's With histronic? Histrionic. Yeah. Personality disorder. Yeah. Which feels like both of those things feel like hysteria 2.0. Yeah. So I think this idea of trauma, mm. which I would say Freud, would you say Freud is kind of responsible for that idea? Yeah. Freud is like, well, Freud is the f- the father Mother. of psycho psych- psychology. psychology psychology altogether. There was yeah. no one really doing psychology like he did it before. Yeah, him. and so the whole idea of having traumatic events that have yeah impacts and give you symptoms like it came from him and yeah. lots of things that we take for granted in psychology. Yeah, you know, traumatic events, all sorts of things come from him. Yeah. So that's why I hate it when people are like, Freud is debunked. And I'm like, so do you not believe in like PTSD? Uh, yeah, exactly. So I think whilst we don't have the category of hysteria, I think that it's only been fragmented to all of mm. these other personality disorders. Yeah. And a great tweet from Danushi <laughs> was... Um, you say it. Yeah, you it was calling... Um, Calling them personality disorders really lets parents off the hook. Yeah. 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 And with that, we might need to go to a bit of a song. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, should we go to another song? Yeah. What's the song, Danushi? Cellophane. By FKA Tweaks. Mm -hmm. This is Bell Hooks and Jaws on Radio Fodder with Sam and Danushi. Welcome back to Bell Hooks and Jaws on Radio Fodder. You're with Sam and Danushi and we are talking about hysteria. Mm -hmm. So we talked about... Uh, historically, like, the physiological wandering yeah. womb up until, you know, that was Egyptians, ancient Greeks, Middle Ages, and then we spoke about the Enlightenment era and Jean-Martin Charcot. And then Freud. And then we spoke about Freud. So H- who's next? Who's the next big hit-up? <laughs> Some Foucault. Oh, Michel. <laughs> French? Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> so just to recap, we've had two really big shifts we've had in hysteria. So we've had the shift from hysteria being about the physiology mm. to then being about the psychology and then it moving from being about nature, genes, her- hereditary, hereditary, her- yeah, <laughs> to being more about sci- uh, to being more about how one is nurtured, mm. making it more mm. of a social disease. Yeah. And and what's next? I think, yeah, so I think part of what makes hysteria a social disease, so not only are specific sources of trauma Mm. um, from society, I Mm. think the conceptualization, the categorization Mm. of hysteria Mm. in and of itself Mm. is social. Yeah. And does a lot of misogyny. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. And a lot of, not just misogyny, but I also think just like generally socially victimized people, whether that be race, gender, class, sexuality. Yeah. Get lumped in the... Hysterical? Well, get lumped in the mentally ill bin. Yeah. 
So there's like, so that's twofold, right? Yeah. Some parts of mental illness can be just from the trauma of being a marginalized mm. person, but the but that that to a certain extent takes for granted the idea that those subjects precede the diagnostic criteria. And I think something that we might get into now is that, you know, the diagnostic criteria is something that's made by people. Yeah. And it is the DSM now and other diagnostic criteria in the past, they are constructed Mm. by people and... um, yeah, I, yeah. There's there's a lot of limitations to how that can work exactly. to treat people. If you know, like I was thinking, sexuality was a mm, mental illness. Exactly. Like to, homosexuality was exactly. a mental illness till very recently. Being trans mm-hmm. is still, you know, you have it's to have still, a diagnostic yeah. diagnosis of gender dysphoria in a lot of places to yeah. get gender affirming treatment. Yeah. So especially in the fields of psychiatry, psychiatric Psychiatry. medicine. Psychiatry. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the emphasis is. <laughs> we take for granted mm. that the categories of um, normal to disordered mm. is an objective measure. Yeah. But what Foucault was saying that... In the birth of the clinic. In the birth of the clinic, that in the earlier 17th, 18th century, maybe medicine was actually more about health rather than what is normal. So Mm. he says that earlier on, medicine was more concerned about, and this is a quote from Foucault, qualities of vigour, suppleness and fluidity which were lost in illness, and it was a task of medicine to restore. Do you know about the four humours? No. That was this, like, idea in the Enlightenment and the Middle Ages that was, like, people had, like, there was, like, well, four different types of fluid in your body, like sanguine, phlegmatic, two others. And, like, some people were more phlegmatic than others. Interesting. And, you know, I think that's, like, kind of pertinent to Ayurveda still like mm. the is it the doses doshas I, don't I know. have no idea um that like yeah people have like they're more like fire more water yeah it's connected to elements even in the the humors were as well yeah yeah so, so what um Foucault is saying that maybe medicine at the start was about restoring health but more towards the 19th century uh, medicine and psychiatry psychiatry (laughs) changed exactly Mm -hmm. changed more to being about what is normal so Mm. that's a really important distinction here that and also constructing an idea of what normal normal is is, exactly because we can't like i'm not going to sit here and be like the the marvels of modern medicine are all fake but (laughs) if potentially it's all empirical yeah and also like i think something Once again, talking about my endo, Mm. I think period pain is something that's treated as normal. Mm. But there, even if there are people that don't have period pain, Mm -hmm. and there are people who practice women's health who think that the normal should be no pain. Yeah. And even if you have primary dysmenorrhea, which is really dismissed by doctors. Yeah. That's not a, That's not normal, and that should be treated as a sign that something's, yeah. something's off. Maybe it's your yeah. hormones. M- yeah. Something's off. So I'm of the belief that, like you said, if something's bothering you, it should be treated. Yeah. And that's actually a lot about my, my honours thesis is mm. about, is that, like, n- no matter how clinically significant a symptom is – if it's bothering the patient enough that they have come to seek treatment, mm. then that should be taken seriously. Mm. Because, like, I feel like I have a periods o- that are on the heavier side, mm. but that doesn't particularly bother me. Mm. But if, for example, someone else with heavy periods, they they are traveling a lot, they maybe are an athlete, mm. like that, it becomes a the idea the 
having a heavy period manifests differently in their life. Mm. And I think that extra layer, that extra dimension of how a symptom impacts the the patient should be considered. Mm. <laughs> and also we were talking about yesterday, I sort of mentioned to you this sort of idea of um, mental health and with these sort of diagnostic criteria that mm. – if somebody comes in and they're subclinical for a lot of things. Yeah. And by subclinical, you mean... We mean, so, like, you know, to get a mental health care plan, yeah. you have to... The K-10. You have to do the K-10. And for some people th- that are doing... They do the K-10, they might not technically fit. Yeah. They might be just a little bit under. But if you were to go and do a whole lot of diagnostic surveys mm. and be just a little bit under for everything. Yeah. I think that's still a sign that the, something's off. The synergistic effect, yeah. if you will, of all of those psychiatric, psychological symptoms that you have. Okay, yeah. maybe you are you feel slightly depressed and you have certain bouts of anxiety mm. and um what's something else? What's another symptom? Oh, I think something that this is really important for is eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people who have eating disorders and in the old, in the DSM-4, you had to be a specific BMI to count as oh. having a, an eating disorder. And, but there That's are, red hot. That is red hot. But And also, it's almost like saying, like, you can't get treatment for your eating disorder until you're underweight. Mm. Even if you have stopped eating uh, fully altogether or, yeah. like, a trigger warning before this, you know, you're doing, you know, eating disorder behaviours. Yeah. Um, they're just uh, like, they're just you, like, can well, you, your can BMI you do is the fine. eating disorder a bit better, please? Exactly. Yeah. They're like, you've actually failed at having an eating, eating disorder, disorder, so we can't actually treat you. Yeah. And I think that's also one of the things that contributes to eating disorders being so deadly. Mm. They are the most deadly yeah. mental illness, whether yeah. by death as a direct effect of the eating disorder or by taking one's life. Yeah. Um, is that there is this idea of you, you're not good enough yet. Yeah. You don't deserve treatment. You don't deserve help. Yeah. And, of course, that's more complicated with not wanting help. Yeah. I, I, I had an eating disorder. So yeah. As so I'm an expert on all eating disorders now. <laughs> that was sarcastic. <laughs> um, so what we're seeing here is this idea that diagnostic criteria Mm. are something that people actively interact with yeah and so not just it's not just something that it's not a neutral thing that a clinical practitioner will just look at and then objectively be able to compare the patient and also like it's a tool for prescribing medication exactly it is not in the patient's best interest, it's in the pharmaceutical company's best interest. Exactly. And we're seeing that coming up soon, there is going to be a change to the, there's a, an amendment to the DSM-5 coming, which is going to change how autism is being diagnosed. Okay. Lovely. Because they've decided... That oh, not lovely. Not lovely. Okay. They've decided too many women are getting diagnosed for autism, too many adult women. Anyone with half a brain knows, obviously, these are the people that were missed. Yeah. But because autism isn't treated with medication, ah. they are, well, not because, they're not saying because, but what they've done is they are making it harder to get diagnosed with autism, Yeah, making it easier to get diagnosed with ADHD. Uh. ADHD is, I think it's one of the biggest yeah. prescribed... Um, the biggest like illnesses that is prescribed medication for it is a big money maker for the pharmaceutical yeah. companies. Right. So then you're going to get these people who have, who used to have autism, who now technically have ADHD. So who died here and left Martin Shkreli, Shkreli in charge? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. People who, yeah, who now have ADHD, but they are what is known as treatment resistant ADHD. So you're giving them the amphetamines. And it's not doing anything for them because they don't have ADHD. They have autism. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, which all comes back to which yeah. the DSM is not to help us. It yeah. is to help pharmaceutical companies. Interesting. Thank yeah. you so much for that rant on the DSM. Thank you. I the hate DSM. the DSM. Yeah. Who doesn't? It should. 
CPTSD isn't in the DSM and they've got no... What does CPT... CPTSD is uh, cr- uh, chronic or childhood PTSD. Oh, okay. Which is instead of a uh, one big event happening, mm, it is chronic. the culmination okay. of lots of little events. Yeah. Often happens in a, in a traumatic childhood. Yeah. That, you know... Makes a hysterical woman. Uh, yeah, gives you PTSD. <laughs> yeah. And that can look like BPD. Uh, very interesting. Mm. So what Foucault was alluding to was this idea that um, diagnostic criteria become a very salient way in which we inscribe meaning onto bodies and therefore allow bodies to be controlled. Yeah. <laughs> Biopolitic. Yeah. 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 And so what um, what I think is that hysteria then becomes a really important way in w- a way in which we can read female behaviour and it becomes a very important point of entry into the lives of women. Oh, sorry. It becomes an important point of entry for medical intervention mm. into the lives of women. Mm. So maybe even though this might not exist now, back in the day, if a woman was not um, having children, was not married, was more emotional, you could then consider that a pathology and that gave the right for uh, clinicians to then enter the lives of those women mm. and tell them to have more kids, tell... Um, tell them that they needed to be married also what what famously somebody with an untreated mental illness is the perfect person to be a mother exactly (laughs) famously yeah um and so what freud not freud foucault um sorry no we might have to cut this bit out that's all right yeah, so for, um, Foucault. Foucault said there was three important spaces okay. for, from which hysteria allowed... Um, there was three important points by which um, hysteria... Oh, how do I explain this? There's like... Three spheres? Yeah, so there's like three spheres by which hyster- th- this idea of hysteria allowed... Um, Sorry, let me start this again. Clinicians to look. yeah, yeah. So, what Foucault is saying that 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 there was the there was three spheres in the lives of women that hysteria allowed to be controlled. Mm. So he considers the f- social body, the family space, and the life of. Sorry, social body, family space. Sorry. So he considers the social body, the family space, and the life of the children mm. three important domains of a woman's life by where the pathologies of hysteria lie. Mm. So essentially you can you in those specific domains you can create abnormal and normal ideas of what it means to be a woman. So for example, in the social domain um, a woman that is more subservient is normal, whereas one that is more dominant and outgoing is hysterical and mm. therefore needs intervention. Mm, exactly. So essentially, um, what well, if we take a more post-structuralist approach to hysteria, you, we can kind of see how um, the label of hysteria actually serves as a way to preserve what it means to be a good woman and it serves a particular function to control women Mm. um, such that they are mothers, partners and daughters and nothing else. Mm. And so like there's this dichotomy or like this binary, sorry, that Mm. if a woman is not functional and by functional by function in the way of being a mother partner and daughter they are hysterical Mm. and so that's the real important thing here is that Mm. we if we can it's a very prescriptivist idea of saying 
how one can be a woman. Yeah. And so if you're not the exact kind of woman mm. that we want you to be. Society. We live in a society. We That's live in a society. <laughs> Scary stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm right in the... <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, if we can medically and clinically diagnose what it means to be a mad woman, what it means to be a hysterical woman, then we can treat that and get mm. rid of it. Mm. So, the diagnostic criteria of what it of hysteria mm. is really it just it. What's the word? Like, if you're and again, with like sexuality, like they would give lesbians lobotomies. Exactly. So if just we can, for being a lesbian, yeah. So if we can cure something, we can take it away from society, mm. and it it's not in the best interest of someone's health. It yeah. is in the best interest and interest best interest of preserving like a patriarchal yeah self preservation for the for the patriarchy yeah. and the society that they've created yeah. So in conclusion, we live in a society. Yeah. Yeah. It's time for another song. Yeah. This is Liability by Lord on Bell Hooks and Jars on Radio Fodder with Sam and Danushi. Welcome back to Bell Hooks and Jars, a podcast on gender and gossip with Sam and Danushi. On Radio Fodder. Mm-hmm. It's my turn to talk now. Mm. Danushi's had her talking time. <laughs> it's my turn. Um, it's time for our gossip section. Segment. Yeah, this isn't really gossip this week. No, this serious is business. Serious business, because you know, having considered all of this, I think it's time we talk about conservatorships. Mm-hmm. Everybody, I think a lot of us learned about conservatorships last year with the Free, Free Britney. Britney, Free Britney movement. Um, gracious, uh, thankfully, Britney is now free. Yeah, and she is showing her titties on Instagram, and I'm As proud she of her. Should. Yeah, yeah. She's, yeah. Just real quick. I feel like people don't realise what it would do to your psyche to essentially be controlled. And if Britney is relishing in their freedom by posting whatever they want on social media, that is... That's her right. Like, they've been essentially in in handcuffs for so long. Yeah. Can you blame them? Yeah, no. Yeah. So with Britney, I'll give a quick recap. So in February of 2008, mm-hmm. she was put into involuntary psychiatric. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do we know like what, um, why? She she was under a lot of pressure. Okay. She was under a lot of pressure and there are some questions about whether or not she was taking drugs and okay. drinking. Um, but, right. you so know, at the same time, there's a lot of misconception about I think the thing that was really t- deemed as cr- her being crazy was her shaving her hair. Right. But there are also reports that, like, the hair shaving was kind of symbolic of, like, how she felt like a pawn and people were always touching her yeah. hair, doing her hair. Yeah. And she was so sick of being treated like a, like, basically like a Barbie. Yeah. And so she shaved off, off her hair as, like, a symbol of, yeah, like, fuck you, get your hands off me. Yeah. Um... Society loves to read moments of like relinquishing your autonomy. Mm. Is that the right word? Yeah. Yeah. Relinquishing your autonomy. Not autom- relinquishing like. No, um, um, taking back your. Taking back your autonomy. Society loves to read people just taking back their autonomy as something crazy. Yeah. Something that's just hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> so she goes into involuntary psych care. Mm-hmm. Um. Her for shape for sh- well we don't know she the was details, having she's having an, an experience yeah you there there's some great documentaries about it yes um she, she like she was going through stuff but i don't think the way that it was handled is the correct way yeah um so she gets put into psych care and then her father later jamie and, lynn and J- jamie jamie her sister's jamie lynn her mother is lynn her father is jamie okay i don't know how they got britney from that but. Um, Jamie Spears yeah shame on you yeah Uh, he applies for a conservative ship not just of her but also of her 60 million dollar fortune he has complete financial social psychiatric healthcare 
uh, control of her. Yeah. She's a she's an adult woman with children. Yeah. She has her children taken away from her. Um, and, like, she's not allowed to, like, go out to lunch without yeah. permission. So this is, like... And he also replaces her whole management mm, and security team for people yeah. that are on the books for the conservatorship so that everybody around her wants the conservatorship to continue. Mm, right. So, yeah. again, this is all done under the guise of this is we need to protect mm. her because she's hysterical but also like conservatorships are typically used for people with alzheimer's yeah who no longer have their faculties yeah and who may have large estates who literally cannot consent to their own treatment yeah. anymore and somebody is placed in place, and it's not usually a family member. That's an important thing. Yeah. It's not usually a family member, such as a father, yeah. who reports that he was also um, not a good father to her, allegedly. Okay. Um, you know, growing up. And so, yeah, that happens. She's under a conservative for, I think it was like 12 years, yeah. 13 years. So, as of November 2021, she yeah. is free. So, essentially, a conservatorship deems you essentially unable to function because of yeah. one of the ailments you have. Yeah. And so, even after Brittany was under the conservatorship and deemed just unable to be in control of anything, she was touring. Yeah, the question is how can somebody be able to consent, unable to consent to their medical treatment? unable to look after their finances when they are working more than nine to five. Yeah. They are touring full time and then doing the Las Vegas residency. Yeah. Through all of this. Yeah. She's apparently unable to control anything. Yeah. Um, so more recently, so that's how a lot of us heard about conservatorships. Yeah. More recently, Amanda Bynes was also mm. placed under conservatorship in 2013. She Are we seeing a pattern here? Yeah. Well, <laughs> she had what seems to be manic episodes. Okay. Um, she was arrested for a DUI, driving under the influence. Okay. Uh, for marijuana, which, you know, the in, in the state of California, which today, I don't think you're allowed to drive under the influence, but, mm -hmm. you know, weed is not as li illegal as it used to be in mm -hmm. 2013. Um, and then... So she was placed on the conservatorship of her mother in 2013. Mm. Um, and she was announced to have... She announced that she had bipolar in 2014. Okay. After that, she sort of... Unlike Brittany, though, she was not really um, as still in the public eye and not working anymore. Yeah. She went uh, underco undercover, sort of. Mm. She went back to university, I think. Oh. Yeah. Um, but basically... Good for them. Yeah. As of... A couple weeks ago, and she's actually spoken out yesterday as well, mm -hmm. as of today, as of recording on Monday this week, um, saying that she has recovered, she's much more stable, mm -hmm. and she thinks it's time for her conservatorship to end. Yeah. Her mother uh, stopped having conservatorship financially of her in 2019, I think. Okay. Um, and now only controls uh, her medical stuff. Okay. Yeah, which it's a different situation, but I still don't know if a conservatorship at all is something that really should be given out to <laughs> in these situations. No, it's we can first of all, I think there's something very interesting about psych psych psychiatry as a field of medicine um, because it is the it's not that you can run run some bloods no. <laughs> and get objective measures on what someone's state of well-being is mm. and so given that all these categorizations in psychiatry are socially and discursively constructed great words bestie thank you they become they can be weaponized yeah. because it's not like Amanda or Brittany could have been like, well, here are my bloods. 
can't you see that I'm fine? Yeah. Whereas if a if someone was like, you are anemic, mm. um, you can't do this. And I'm like, but my hemoglobin is fine. Yeah, but even then, the the threshold of normal is still discursively like constructed. Yeah, it's but like, you know, the, the thing that's like 30. If you're 31, you're still not yeah, doing great. Yeah, so, but just there's just nothing of the sort mm. for things like um, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, this, yeah. that, and the other. Even though there's like... Things like vitamin D and all of these other things we can use as proxies for your well-being. There's there's no objective measure, yeah. and so we bec- and because of the way science, the positionality of science in society is mm. as the 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 ivory tower. The the I think a lot of people hold up science yeah. as a uh, 100% fact and uncriticizable. Exactly, and because of that, any scientific or psychiatric claims about someone's health can then be usable in a court Mm. of law essentially Mm. exactly the great thing about amanda things are looking okay okay her conservatorship is set to end unless it's renewed i doubt it will be but we'll see in march of 2023 but she has spoken out in the last few days and basically said that like her conservatorship can end at any time if a judge rules so ah okay yeah um yeah so Things are looking up mm-hmm. and things are better for Brittany. Jamie yeah. Lynn, her sister, has been talking shit, uh, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, And Brittany has been going off on Instagram and I've really been enjoying that. There's yeah. like the, the Instagram one that's like, shame on you, Jamie Lynn. <laughs> that yeah. like, yeah, yeah, it's so good. Given all that, it's time for another song. Yeah. It's time for Mad Woman. And this by is Taylor a Swift. banger. This is a banger. This is a fave of ours. Yeah. Mad Woman by Taylor Swift on Radio Fodder, Bell Hooks and Jars with Danushi and Sam. That was Mad Woman by Taylor Swift. You're listening to Bell Hooks and Jars with Sam and Danushi. Every time you call me crazy, I get more crazy. What How about, about that? that? And when you say I seem angry, I get more angry. There's nothing like a mad woman mm. so true so bestie. true bestie thank you taylor for that one that is yeah yeah very true just a little bit of a dramatic reading for you yeah all. and especially if you're listening to this is a podcast and you um didn't you're not getting the the music because yeah. we can't legally do that <laughs> i think people should if you're listening as a podcast you should really pause yeah and go listening yeah. to the tunes because we do some bangers. Yeah, I agree. We got a review. Um, one of my friends did message me and say that that they liked the the music. Ooh, the music was good last Thank week, you. and the music's great this week too. It's always great. And um, I think the big takeaway from this episode, if we want to channel a little bit of de Beauvoir, mm. is one does not. One is not born an hysterical woman, but rather becomes one. Yeah, yeah. so true. One <laughs> is not born, but rather becomes hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah. And so really the, the main thing that I want to get across is that this idea of hysteria is really functions against women because it allows us to... Yeah. It allows us to, um, what's the word for outcast? It allows us to ostracize like, yeah. certain expressions and um, embodiments of, in quotation marks, femininity. And it allows us to dismiss genuine experiences of mm, anger. Exactly. A, you know, upset betrayal. Yeah. Because it's just like, oh, she's just crazy. Yeah, and I think what happens is uh, in a lot of, feminine coded health things that we have a lot of catch all terms mm. such as well I can't really think of anything off the top of my head but hysteria historically was just a catch all so you could I think anxiety does anxiety, that now too yeah exactly yeah. anxiety like and depression I, I was speaking to a friend the other day who was saying that she had to have well she was having mad hip pain mm. um, the first doctor she went to said it was just anxiety <laughs> Next doctor she went to, it Things was... Things really have not changed. She needed emergency surgery. 
things have not changed. Yeah. This we're living in ancient Egyptian times. Yeah. Except without the mad eyeliner. Exactly. And less cats. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. this has been Bell Hooks and Jars. Thank you guys for listening so much. Um we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. You can find our Instagram at bell underscore hooks underscore and underscore jars. You can find me at buddhith underscore butler. Danushi, where can we find you? At dan.sushi and on Twitter, dan.sush1. And I'm at buddhith underscore butler on Twitter as well. I've, I've really, I've really like taken that on all my platforms. Yeah, keep the branding consistent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Chat next week. Bye. Bye.